This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With The World is But a Maze, we talk about the various tools at Avisle's disposal to overcome the challenges they face. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast The World is But a Maze, we talk about running Invisible Sun and try to work through something that we've run into that we're not sure how to best handle. This time we're going to talk about what tools the game provides to Visle uh, in order to help them overcome the various challenges that they're going to be faced with uh, in the game. Uh, so this has come up because I was running into, I guess, this problem uh, at my table over the past couple of sessions. Um, the the characters in the game that I'm running were having trouble getting through challenges once I was, you know, setting the difficulty at like a six or a seven. And the, the difficulty was they would put together their various uh, bonuses for their venture and they would only be reducing it by a couple of points, which would which would inevitably give them a pretty difficult role. And more often than not, they were they were failing at these things. Uh, and then when I would introduce uh, magical obstacles, which would require two successes, then their success rate dropped even more dramatically because instead of just needing one five, you need to roll two fives. Uh, so it was something that I was trying to figure out how to guide my players through. Uh, and this is... It's a new system for all of us. Yes, I've been talking about it for a while, but I mean, a lot of it was just talking about what the rules were laying out and, you know, the text of those rules. Once it's put into practice, it's it's a very different beast for me because then I can see how is this working and what are the stumbling blocks that we've got and how do we get around them? So I wanted to talk about uh, what, what tools we have for Vizlay and what sort of tips we might want to give them in order to help them be successful in the world of Invisible Sun. So, Scott, how do you feel about uh, putting together some advice for Visley in this sense? I think it's a good idea because this is certainly a, a subject that we tripped over early on in the playtest, uh, where what in retrospect seem as very obvious mistakes uh, led us into some awkward situations. So being equipped with at least knowing your options is useful. Uh, it's particularly useful when character building so that you know what sort of boxes you want to tick off based upon the sort of game that you want to play. Though all of this is going to be framed based upon the sort of game that people want to play. And different types of games may emphasize different parts of this uh, kind of advice. Yeah, and I've got a pretty good mix of the, the types of characters uh, in our group. We've got several characters who would be good at navigating through any sort of social encounter. Uh, I have a character who is very focused on being 
sneaky and stealthy and also is very well equipped to handle combat situations. Um, and that kind of means that we're going to have a, a pretty broad spectrum of the different sorts of challenges that they're going to run into. Because uh, if you listen to our, our show about skills, uh, you'll remember, hey, use the skills as sort of a like signposting from your players to you know, provide them the sorts of challenges that they want to be uh, trying to get through, uh, which is why I've got combat challenges and social, social challenges and deduction uh, all sort of in the mix. So what are, what are some of the uh, mistakes that you, what were some of the things that led to some of the obstacles you ran into with the playtest? Well, at the, the very first session or two that we did within the playtest, um, we were still trying to figure out what the game was about. Mm-hmm. Not bo- both the game itself and our particular group. Uh, in this playtest, we were directed to have a particular type of combat encounter. So I dutifully added that combat encounter to our story. Mm-hmm. And we realized that the party was woefully under-equipped for combat. In fact, no one had bought a weapon. Mm, yeah, we I, I had that same sort of thing happen. <laughs> It seems crazy in retrospect, uh, especially given sort of the history of RPGs and such, but uh, the character creation process didn't involve a step where it was clear to people that that they'd want at least one large object they could hit things with um, or sharp object they could poke things with or whatever it is they wanted to use for their weapon. Now, we turned that around after this experience and realized, oh, well, let's let's spend some time on it and think about what weapon our character characters would want. And we're not constrained by mere physics or world history. So, you know, go nuts and sort of what sort of magical or surreal weapons you would want to use. And so it became a positive, uh, but it, it, it was telling to us that we had not even considered the possibility someone would want a sword uh, or something along those lines uh, until we ran across this particular combat encounter. Yeah, combat was one of those sticking points where, all right, we're getting into action mode and we're making rolls every turn and we're spending a lot of points. Um, but lacking lacking the tools, lacking any kinds of tools to, to really help you with the, you know, over, like hitting something or connecting with something or grabbing something like that, that became very apparent after a couple of encounters. Yeah, it's important to remember, this is a difference between Invisible Sun and the Cypher system, much less uh, other systems. The level of an item adds to the venture for tasks using that item. So if you are swinging a sword, uh, if you have a level three sword, then you're going to get three more uh, points added to your venture for Mm -hmm. attacks with that sword. It doesn't affect damage because damage is based upon the size, small, medium or large of the weapon. But it does affect accuracy. Uh, and a plus three weapon is not necessarily some sort of ancient artifact, as you might expect from the sort of our, our, you know, Dungeons and Dragons games or other sorts of itemization systems. So it, it is realistic that players might have a level two uh, weapon or something along those lines fairly early on. Uh, and it's, it's a big help <laughs> in combat. And I would say, in fact, for what we would think of as most combat encounters, uh, in the absence of having a, a weapon with, you know, at least a level, preferably a couple levels, uh, it, it, that, that combat's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, and in the, the book, I think there is there is a level two staff. It's a heavy weapon. It 
I think it is very cheap. Uh, so right. that is an option that everybody's going to have access to right out of the gate. Um, I mean, it, and it's just sort of, I always look at the lists of items and whatnot as suggestions and guidelines. So if you're looking for a level two heavy weapon, it's not very expensive and everybody should be able to have access to that pretty early on. And, and feel free to let players define what that staff is like or whether yep. it's some sort of surreal counterpart to a staff. It would change the mechanics of the game if you allowed it to work as a magical weapon. That is, if it was an item that affected magical creatures that would otherwise be resistant to non-magical attacks. So for the purposes of, of using the base rules and that inexpensive base staff, I would say any change you make should still be should still keep the staff mundane. But it can be a mundane staff that has that are sort of non-magical, but is uh, not mundane for for our Earth, uh, but might be you know within the realm of surrealism of the actuality. So I'd say in terms of the flavor of the weapon, let them go crazy. Um, just to it, it reinforce that it's, that doesn't necessarily make the, the staff itself magical, uh, but it might make it level two or whatever. Right. Um, so I think this this kind of covers my first suggestion, my first uh, bit of advice. Uh, get some items. Like figure out the things that you want to be doing as a character and get some items to support that. Because be, uh, since the level of the item is going to add to the venture for those checks, those items can be very powerful. Uh, a plus, like a level two staff, that's that's a significant boost uh, basically for free every time you use it. Uh, and it's not just for combat. It's, you know, you can, you can buy tools and equipment for all sorts of other things. Uh, so I think it's it's worth your time to just look through the back of the book, the back of the key. That, that's where you're going to find it, and and grab some items. Spend some of your your initial starting cash. Spend some of the the money that you're accruing every week, and get some items that are going to help you with the things that you want to do as your, with your character. And then also try and find some stuff that is going to help you with the things that your character isn't very good at, because that's an easy way to just you know, sort of shore up your shortcomings. And we focused on combat and there are other easy examples of things like climbing kits uh, or mm -hmm. other supplies you might use for crafting, but you might even extend the system to social encounters though. I, there's nothing I don't believe listed in the key that you could buy off the list, but you could imagine purchases that actually facilitate social interaction as well. Uh, in our world, this might be a nice outfit um, or it might be a membership card or some sort of lapel pin that indicates your status of some kind. Uh, mm -hmm. So you could use those sorts of counterparts for social uh, items to facilitate ventures in the same way that our combatty characters have weapons and our explorey characters have uh, exploration equipment. Uh, but you would want to have that to contextualize within your, your story. What is it that this person has that facilitates social interaction? What is it that makes people treat them more favorably? Or maybe it's it, it, uh, in terms of intimidation. What is it that, what type of tattoo makes people really afraid of them? Um, that, that could all be an item that has been purchased. Yeah, and as long as you can justify it, then I think, yeah, you should be using those, those items for those things. Uh, so another, another bit of advice that, uh, I want to talk about, well, basically I have a bunch of things that I want to point to and say, Hey, as a Vizlay, keep this stuff in mind. And the first thing was items. Uh, the next one is going to be skills. Uh, 
so skills are very much like items. If you can apply them to the situation, they're going to add their level to the venture. And we did talk about skills a little bit. Uh, we had a uh, one episode about them. Uh, and I think skills are a little bit more difficult to acquire than items because items are pretty easy. You, you pay for them and you get them. Uh, skills require an investment of your acumen. Um, but if you're able to use them, like you're going to be able to use uh, both your uh, items and your skills to add to your venture, which is going to really reduce those costs, um, uh, the, the difficulty challenges. Um, so what I've been telling my player is, is, Hey, uh, you can, you can pick up some skills. They cost some acumen, but it's going to be a static bonus that you can use pretty much every time they're relevant. So did you run into, uh, skills with the play tests that you're, you were doing? Not as much as I would have expected. Uh, it was only late in the play test that people began to realize that, this acumen that was building up could be used to purchase skills and skills are in mm -hmm. fact relatively inexpensive compared to uh, even compared to spells given the, the range of use of a lot of skills. Uh, so only towards the tail end of our playtest did people start really picking up on uh, skills, but then became excited about it. Yeah. So there where my table is starting to, I think, think about skills in uh, as another aspect for building their venture. Uh, it's a bit more investment than items, but it's there. Um, I guess two more things that I want to talk about in terms of adding to venture that are slightly related would be uh, spending your Ben A and then also hidden knowledge. It's kind of a, it's kind of like the what ninth stat. Um, so Ben A is the most, I think the most common one that feels the most like the cipher system. And that's, you, you can spend Bene from your various pools. You can spend one Bene per check unless you have access to the expanded Endeavor Expedition or expanded Endeavor Secret. And that's the one that I call out pretty much every time when my players are building their venture up. I'll say, hey, uh, you can spend Bene from your pool to add one to your venture for this, um, but you don't have to do that in order to make this check. Um, it is a very small uh, addition to the venture. So if you're only spending Bene and that is your only source of bonuses for your venture, I don't, I don't think it's that significant. But once you're able to spend multiple Bene for a check, then that's where I think it's going to become uh, much more helpful. Uh, and then going along with that, hidden knowledge is just kind of a bonus you can use in order to add one extra point to your venture. And... It seems like every Vizlay starts with a lot of hidden knowledge. I want to say that most of them start with, you know, in the double digits, like 10 to 15 hidden knowledge, depending on their uh, their history and their forte and whatnot. And that's, that sounds about right. Yeah. And it's it's one of the stats that I think everybody forgets about initially because I've got all these other things to remember. I've got Bene, I've got skills, I've got this and that. And then I've also got hidden knowledge, which I don't have a pool for. It's just on my sheet. So uh, hidden knowledge is another one that I'll always call out. Uh, like, I guess not always, but I'll frequently call it out now uh, just so that my players remember that they have that in, in their arsenal. 
I think hidden knowledge has a, a great deal of potential in the narratives of the ga- of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the same experience where people seem to be reluctant to spend it, whether it's, or I should say, some combination of reluctant and, and just forgetful that they had the resource available to them. Yep. What I asked of players when they spent hidden knowledge was just to say, you know, to, you know, create a piece of the world. Tell us what you've learned in the past that is somehow secret or hidden that helps you in this situation. And they could just, it's the expectation is they'll come up with something. Uh, so it's it's not a matter of a, it's not a quiz. Um, it is not some sort of threshold requirement. It is just an opportunity for them to narrate as to what they're, what they've been doing in between sessions or <laughs> their, before uh, the events of the campaign that has equipped them with knowledge that's useful in a variety of circumstances. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't need to be cool. It doesn't need to be amazing. It just needs to, you know, sort of justify why you're getting a bonus. So if you're trying to open a lock, well, you've worked with these sorts of locks before, so you know how the the mechanism works. That's great. That's perfect. And one challenge I did have was that there are, there's language in the books about how to regain hidden knowledge. Yes. But this is also a situation where players tend to neglect that aspect, whether it's development mode or other sorts of activities. It's important to provide opportunities to replenish hidden knowledge. Uh, Otherwise, players will hoard it. Yeah, and that's one thing I have to keep in mind. Uh, The next time my players stumble upon a, a destroyed library out in the ruined expanses, one of the rewards they should be getting is hidden knowledge. Um, so I've got three more that I just kind of want to lump together here. Um, you've got spells, ephemera, and objects of power. So the the big difference with these is that well, I guess it's not a big difference. Okay, so the, these are all kind of similar um, in that they're magical and they're all going to add their level to whatever venture it is you're uh, building. And I'm putting these together because they all feel similar. So. When you cast a spell, you're going to add that spell's level to your venture, and that could be a significantly, like, it could be a significant bonus. Uh, if you have a level 9 incantation, that's plus 9 to your venture, and that's going to handle any mundane task for the most part. I mean, yeah, if you're trying to hit some sort of creature that has powerful resistances that puts it up to, you know, 11 or 12, you're making a roll, but it's a much easier role if you're adding nine to your venture. (laughs) Oh yeah. These are the tools that I think are going to significantly modify your venture outside of really high level items. Like this seems to be, I don't know. It seems to be the most efficient way to increase your, your venture. And the problem that I've been seeing at the table is not all of the spells, like not everybody has spells that are going to work in every situation. Uh, and a lot of times the ephemera that they have, they're very narrow uh, or whatever objects of power they have don't don't help them in a given situation once again. Uh, and my advice has been take a look at the general spells and try and figure out what you've been having trouble with and then see if you can find some spells that might help you with that. So if you're having trouble in combat and you 
want to be able to survive in a fight, maybe you should pick up some protection, a protection spell, or maybe you should pick up some sort of aggressive spell that would let you contribute more to a fight. Or maybe you want to just do something like turn invisible so that nobody is going to bother you when, you know, things get rough. I think it's important. There's, there's a bit of a shift and this is true for the cipher system as well as uh, invisible sun that the expectation of player uh, character competence is different than people might have experienced in other games. In Call of Cthulhu, for instance, a feature of the system is that um, <laughs> challenges are, are, are difficult and failure is common. Uh, it sometimes devolves into almost sort of lampoon or kind of a humorous style of play because investigators in Call of Cthulhu can fail at sometimes the sorts of things you expect them to, to be able to handle very easily. And that's just one style of play. In mm-hmm. Dungeons and, most versions of Dungeons & Dragons, I would say the failure rate is tuned to be somewhere between a third and half of the time, uh, focused mostly on uh, combat. But in Invisible Sun and Cypher System, I I think the expectation is that failure is going to be more rare. Uh, And there's a couple of different ways this can, you can use this approach uh, to, to flavor the game. First, you don't have to roll for everything. If the, the characters are proposing to, or the players are proposing that the characters do something that is relatively mundane um, or even if it's not mundane, but failing is, doesn't lead to more interesting opportunities. Then don't bother rolling for it. Just say it happens. Mm-hmm. Save the roles for where there's some tension and where failure could be interesting. Uh, expect that failure will be rare if players are investing in skills and items for their characters uh, but take advantage of the failures when they when they do occur uh, even if they are relatively rare events uh, but understand that if you go through a three or four hour session and no one's failed a die roll that doesn't necessarily mean you've had a bad session it means that that the players are marshalling their resources um, and they're focusing on what they want to do they are you know, uh, maybe limiting the actions that they're seeking in that particular session to the ones that will be most uh, easily available. Uh, but it's not an indication the game is too easy. It's just tuned at a different level. It's tuned more to make characters feel powerful and to make characters uh, uh, success, you know, to represent character success than some of the other games that are tuned in order to emphasize failures um, or to to generate interesting outcomes by ensuring that a third to half the time uh, characters will fail, will fail in what they're trying to do. Well, I think going along with that, you're going to be successful in this if you are able to use your tools and spend your resources effectively. If you don't have the tools, you're not going to be successful. So these tools, skills, items, bene, spells, ephemera, and objects of power, like those are... Oh, and your hidden knowledge. Like those are tools to help you be successful. But if you don't have spells, you're not going to be able to, at least early on, you're not going to be able to break through that restriction that is placed on spending Bene. Like outside of items, like early on, characters aren't going to be adding a whole lot to their venture uh, from each of these categories. Like you're going to be able to add one from your Bene. You might have a level two item. You might have a level one skill. And that might be all you're applying to it. But if you're running into a level eight or nine difficulty, 
I think it's spells and certain incantations that are really going to allow you to break through that restriction and really add to your venture. Uh, if you take a look at if you take a look at a Weaver character, for example, they can generate a huge amount of bonus to their venture simply by weaving an appropriately powerful effect into one of their spells. If they want to hit something for five damage, that's a level five effect that's adding five to their venture. And that, that is a huge amount like that. You can't do that as an early character with any of these other categories until you start unlocking secrets, but spells and converting your sorcery directly into venture. I I think that's kind of how you got to look at it. If you are struggling to overcome certain difficulties, you know, converting your sorcery directly into your venture is one of the best ways to do it. Now, going along with that, um, I've only been talking about adding to your venture. There's another aspect to this, which is enhancing your roles, which is adding dice to your roles. And if you look at all of the things that add to your venture, the only stuff that adds dice to your roles would be spells, ephemera, objects of power, and then the other stat we didn't talk about, which is sortilage. So now these things, they don't... Well, Sortilage doesn't add to your venture. So if you're only spending Sortilage and you need one success, like, yeah, you get two dice to try and hit that success. But if you're not adding to your venture, your odds of success aren't, like, amazingly better. But if you are spending your sorcery on a spell, it's going to add to your venture. It's going to give you, more than likely, extra dice. And that is going to make you much more successful than just spending Sortilage on its own. Uh, So I think Spells, Ephemera, and Object of Power, when you want to get extra dice and add to your venture, like, take a look at those things. That's that's where you want to spend your time. And that's where you want to spend your... You want to spend some acumen there. Like, skills are... They're a nice thing to have. uh, And I think they're a bit more flexible than a lot of the spells that you can get. But ultimately, I think you're going to want to identify some spells to assist you in the tasks that your character either wants to focus on or, you know, spend a little bit of acumen on a general spell to shore up some of your shortcomings. And remember that a lot of the challenges that the Vizlay will face, uh, and in particular, a lot of the creatures they may encounter as uh, kind of combat obstacles are going to require multiple successes to hit mm-hmm. or affect because they are inherently magical. And uh, even a, you, you can't get a, ben, a venture high enough for a mundane attack to affect a magical creature. So you're going to have to have those extra dice to get multiple uh, successes to affect magical creatures or other sort of magical effects. Be- knowing when you can enhance your role is very important and expanding the opportunities you have to enhance your role will give you more opportunities to affect magical uh, challenges. Yeah. So wrapping this all up, um, my advice that I've been giving to my players is take a look at the general spells. Uh, You probably want to have one or two general spells, even if you're a weaver, even if you're uh, a Vance, um, like it seems like everybody is better off if they have a general spell that sort of covers some of the gaps that they don't have with their 
with their order magic. Um, and then the other bit of advice that I've had is, you know, have the maker build you things that are going to help you in, in various ways, because makers that are building objects of power to help the group are going to like really bump up the power curve for that group. Cause once they get a few tools in the hands of their group, they're going to be very capable. So yeah, take a look at those general spells. Um, I think that's my first bit of advice for new groups. Yeah. And my overall advice is to think about the sorts of encounters you're likely to have and build your characters so that you have something to contribute in each of those spaces. So if you think you're going to have a campaign that's balanced across combat, social interaction and exploration, make sure you have some combination of skills, items, spells, uh, forte abilities and the like that will allow you to contribute in each of those areas. Uh, it, it, one of the frustrations I found with character with character creation or, or, or that stem from character creation is people will really go all in on one and ignore the other. So they will go all combat and then wonder why they're bored during a social interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they'll go all in on social interactions, possibly to, because no one else has bothered to do so. Um, and then find that in the com- in combat, they don't have a whole lot to contribute. So you you want to have some toe in all of these uh, uh, areas uh, at the very least. So, you know, what's your go to uh, strategy in those spaces? Yeah. And I mean, if your go to strategy in combat is you want to turn invisible and disappear and you are happy with that, then, hey, you figured it out. You did it. Right. It might even be that you go invisible um, and you instead find creative ways to create assets for other characters. Yeah. That's also fine. Uh, but just know what you're, know what you're in for. Um, and I, I would add for this game in particular, we, we usually think of exploration, interaction and combat. Uh, but exploration here is fairly broad and would likely include uh, knowledge uh, in particular domains of knowledge. And it would be useful for every character to have some idea of what area of knowledge she specialized in. Or if you've got divination magic. Uh, or that. <laughs> but having specialties in knowledge is similar to having specialties in exploration and having something you can contribute to research mm-hmm. uh, is useful. So I think the next time we talk about one of these things, one of these uh, general topics, uh, we might be talking about uh, building out some interesting exploration opportunities or encounters in the ruined expanses. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it's something I'm going to have to put together uh, and have, uh, I guess, a few pages of notes about my people want to go out into the ruined expanses again. So what are they going to find out there? Hate cysts. The answer is hate cysts. Yeah, but what are those hate cysts doing? We don't talk about the hate cysts. Well, we can talk about them. We just don't talk about the war. (laughs) Hello, this is Scott coming to you from the actuality with a quick update. Monty Cook Games has launched a Kickstarter for a reprint of Invisible Sun. If you missed out on the Black Cube or any of the add-ons in the previous Kickstarter campaign, you might want to check it out. Uh, They will also be adding new material, most of which may be available to supporters of the original Kickstarter for free. Uh, But 
see all the details on the new uh, reprint Kickstarter campaign from Monty Cook Games for Invisible Sun. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.